or before we start talking about our Lord and Savior Lorena Bobbitt. I think it's recording. It looks like it's recording. It okay. says recording, so I trust it. But um, yeah, I, I've been watching a lot of live PD because I got tired of ER. Uh, and apparently we're getting a like lifetime Lorena Bobbitt movie executively produced by Lorena Bobbitt. Really? Yeah. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure we got like the oh, Lorena like, Bobbitt story in like the 90s, but then Yeah, now- it, w- it was like a, a dingo ate my baby kind of movie though. Like it was like they, Lorena Bobbitt was never consulted. But like we're getting a Lorena Bobbitt movie written by Lorena Bobbitt. Uh, for our listeners who don't know, Lorena Bobbitt was a woman who cut off her husband's penis. Mm-hmm. And then threw it in the bushes. And threw it in the bushes. She says that she was abused. No one can corroborate that. <laughs> I mean, he did fine. It got reattached. She ended up doing an entire porn series called Frank did- Penis. Yeah, he did do a porn. He did several porns. Uh, it's also how we get the name the Bobbit Worm. Really? Yes. I'm kidding. Um, that's kind of like a weird thing. But like the joke is that that's how they got the Bobbit Worm is that it like steals penises. It's actually, that is a weird uh, etymology thing because the name is true. That is how they were named Bobbit Worms, but they don't steal penises. I've never heard of a bobbit worm before, so... A bobbit worm is an insane sea worm, and it looks like one of those, like, if a deviant child drew an alien porn. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, like, one of your friends' high school notebooks. Probably. And I can say that to you because we probably hang... We hung out with the same people in high school. <laughs> so you like, hang no. out with a lot of theater kids? Theater kids, <laughs> trench coat nation. <laughs> yep anime fans that might be where we differ but like like you're you're one like trench coat bros uh weird notebook that only you can see if there's probably a similar creature in that notebook um, but that's a bobbit worm uh, named after lorena bobbit i don't think i want to see this movie because i don't care about lorena bobbit or her story not i mean that probably sounds a little bit misogynistic but like i don't i think i'd probably not, watch it in passing because I remember that happened, like, in the 90s. So for everyone who doesn't know, who just logged in and was like, oh, this podcast is about a children's book. Welcome to Unfortunately Required Reading. <laughs> right. I apologize, because we were supposed to be talking about a children's book, and we're now talking about emasculation. I'm just letting uh, you know, this is not a child-friendly podcast, just in case you were wondering. We have never been a child-friendly podcast. Like, I don't... I mean, There's our a- first book was about or was um, Watership Down, and we it talked was. about, like, rabbit communism, so... Rabbit fascism. No, fascism, we're not communist. Sorry. Remember, true communism doesn't exist. It's an idea. It's an idea. Just like true socialism. So, what are we eating and drinking today? Well, I am currently eating cheese chips that I made, mm-hmm. um, which is basically just microwaving um shredded mozzarella and pretend you can bake them you can but you didn't but i'm lazy and i wanted to do it quickly because i started the project at 11 52 and we were recording in eight minutes it's like you could have baked them i could have but that's not what transpired i'm doing this in honor of frog and toad which is the book we're reading today because Mm -hmm. they eat a bunch of chocolate chip cookies Mm -hmm. at one point in time and can't stop eating and so I can't stop eating these. So I have a ciabatta roll. I have por salu, which is a semi-soft pasteurized uh, cow's milk cheese from France. Uh, I also made a cocktail. Hence why I'm opening this can of San Pellegrino. So there's gin in here. There is elderflower liqueur in here. And now a lemon San Pellegrino inside of a mug because we're getting really, really homey. Tori just got to see a beautiful pour. It was gorgeous. Like, Tori just got to see it. the most beautiful pour. And every one of you guys got to hear it because I'm very, very close to this very expensive microphone. It's not very expensive, but it's definitely like she pricey. Did we already talk about your mic upgrade? Oh, I got a new microphone, everyone. His name is Watanuki. Uh, 
I got a Yeti microphone, so I'm officially a uh, ASMR influencer. This is delicious. I finally cracked open that bottle of gin my aunt's got me for Christmas like a few years ago. What kind of gin? It's, uh, oh God. I took a picture. Hold on. Where is phone? Everything is on fire. Where is phone? Nothing is actually on fire if you're listening. <laughs> I, I can <laughs> confirm looking into Amanda's place that it is not on fire. Uh, it's called Greenhouse. Ooh. I took a photo. I'll send it to you when I'm, when we're done. Perfect. But, um, yeah, my aunts, my aunts are now at that stage with me when it comes to holidays that they know that I like gin and that I like Asian stuff. So, so I usually get like alcohol or like just here's money, which is great. I'm pushing 30. So like, that's wonderful. But I hadn't opened that bottle because I just hadn't found a reason to, um, it definitely smelled like rubbing alcohol when I opened it because it's an 80 proof gin. Oh, wow. Because apparently my family also kind of hates me. Maybe just your liver. It's good. I'm glad that I mixed it with the San Pellegrino, which is, fun fact, something that I like, because I don't know if our listeners are aware of yet, I'm a little bit bougie. Just just a little bit? Just a you're, smidgen. You're just outside of Dallas, bougie. Like, I'm... I am just the ever so slightest bit of bougie. Also, can I tell you about the impulse purchase I made today? Sure. I bought a Anthony Bourdain St. Novena candle. That's kind of amazing. That says, uh, your body is on a temple. It is an amusement park. Enjoy the ride. That's awesome. I'm so... I, my friend sent it to me and is like, I think you need this. And I was like, I also think that I need this. So that will arrive soon. So we're going to just officially refer to him as St. Tony Bourdain moving forward. Yep. <sighs> you want to talk about this children's book? I do. I have them like in a little set because I bought the set going, I'm going to read these to small children on the internet. I haven't done it yet. Because it requires okay. me to put on makeup. So I was trying to figure out why suddenly you were going to children book land. So, no, I mean, that was mostly just because I want something innocent and sweet that we can, like, talk about so I don't have to sit there and slog through Russian literature, even though I do it for fun. Um, okay, I have never asked that we read Russian literature. That's all. That You I, are in your own <laughs> self-imposed gulag. I, I have know. never. <laughs> my My concern is that the majority of the books that we read for school were very dark and very sad and involved a lot of death and destruction and wars. Like, mm-hmm. what did we cover right before all this started? <laughs> like, it was sad. Right. It was depressing. So we're like, let's do something happy. Right. And then um, we found out that there was a lot of subtext. A lot of subtext. There's too much subtext. Uh, so that's what we're eating and drinking uh do you want a short story along which should probably be very very short because it's a literal fucking children's book it's really short so the frog and toad books they are two amphibians that live in separate houses and go on small daily adventures with each other frog is tall bright green full of adventure and upbeat toad is more realistic smaller darker and mostly wants to be left the fuck alone they both wear jackets and pants but no shirts they're super easy reader books, so they go. these are very short adventures. There's usually about five per book. Um, mm. And they go on adventures like making too many cookies and eating them, staging mm-hmm. a play, going for a walk, losing buttons, refusing to get out of bed, and being made fun of for bathing suits. So they are a mood. Yes, they are um, a mood. Some of the best stories involve eating way too many cookies and then deciding that they have to hide them in a super elaborate plot that makes no sense unless you're a stoner. And then they also like to procrastinate regularly. So you'll see a meme online all the time that says, I'll just do it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my favorite ones is there's one where um, Frog is like, I'm going to go swimming. I don't like to wear a bathing suit. Toad's like, yeah, well, I sure as fuck do. He doesn't say the F word, obviously, because it's a kid book. I wish you would. And so then he's like, okay, don't look at me, Frog. I'm going to get in the water. And he's like, but you're in a bathing suit. He goes, yeah, I know but my bathing suit looks silly and I don't want anyone to see it. And then all of a sudden he's in the water and all these people are coming around and he's like, tell them to go away. I don't want them to see them in my suit, which then immediately makes everyone wants to see him in his bathing suit. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and there's also a really great part where he's talking and Toad has a sad time of day where he waits for the mail. And I feel, I feel a certain kinship with that. I, I kind of do too, but like, that's why I send out like a lot of cards. Like I love sending out post fun fact because I like being able to go to the mailbox and receive anything that isn't a bill. I mean, that's always nice. Or like the weird credit card offers that you're like, that's not a legitimate credit card. Where did that come from? Right. From like a, a bank that only has like three letters in it. It's like, that's not, you're not right. real. Here's, here's your lenders club. And you're like, um, I wasn't aware that I was part of said club. Right. I was not, I was not uh, told that this was a thing. My favorite is um, the spam calls that have been ticking back up. And it's like, because of work, like I'm answering my phone even more, and it's like, ah, damn it, they got me again. <laughs> yeah, I get, I have like a bunch of, I have two different phone systems on my phone. I have the one for work, so it's my work number, and then I have the one for like my volunteer gig and my um, other stuff that's on there too for Google Voice. So then it's mm -hmm. like, I get these calls and I'm like, is that coming through my real phone or my work phones? Like, what is happening here? <laughs> Yeah, I'll get mine. I'll get a few from Google Voice. Um, so, okay. Uh, because these are children's books, there's not really a ton of themes. Uh, but we are here to talk about what is my favorite subject, which is queer subtext. Yay! These books are by Arnold LaBelle, who later in life did come out as gay. Mm -hmm. so. so, queer subtext has existed in a lot of works, and they do seem to be incredibly prominent in children's works as well. Uh, the big thing is, is that, especially in a lot of children's works, uh, you'll see a lot of partnerships between male characters and male presenting characters. Uh, and you'll see this with women too, but mostly with men, honestly, like there's not a lot of like lesbian subtext in a lot of these. There's a lot of just like homoerotic subtext with between men and these, where you'll see two males who are in very, very close partnership. And not to say that these relationships don't exist platonically, but it's not common that they're platonic. <laughs> and even if they are platonic, there's usually still, like, some kind of inherent, like, desire for it. So, like, there's, um, there's a really, really interesting aspect of queer theory that, like, no one is straight. <laughs> like, everyone is kind of queer. It's just how queer, like, kind of getting to, like, Kinsey scale things. I was gonna say that like the fluid spectrum of sexuality. Yeah, uh, which gets you into Kinsey scale, which the last time I took my test, I was 50-50 bisexual, which I do not agree with. I was like, that's not accurate. I don't know that I've ever taken the Kinsey test. It's long, and I think for most people it's more elucidating. I guess just like whenever I took it, I must have been in a mood, because I've never tested 50-50 like ever like I usually get 60 40 or like 70 30 which is usually a little more sense and these percentages are like attraction to females and attraction to males um so I usually test higher for attraction to males even though I'm still bisexual because remember bisexuality is not invalidated by a preference which is something that we still have to say to people it's like you're dating a man ergo you can't be bi it's like what it's literally literally the other part of the equation I digress um <laughs> that's the something that gets under my skin but um you'll see this a lot with children's works uh honestly I think the most famous example of that's like Bert and Ernie and Sesame Street which they later spent a lot of time having to like retcon like no 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 they're just friends it's like okay <laughs> sure sure they are Cause that one was a weird one because like they're the only characters who appear to be like more adult than everyone else as far as like Muppets go but like they also hate each other but not enough to leave so like what weird coupling scenario are they in yeah that was always kind of my question I mean it's like when you're a kid you don't care one way or another yeah. you're like cool I mean, I mean, at this point in time, we're we're very much at this. So and so is two dads, okay? Yeah. So and so is two moms. So what? Right. It's whatever. Fine. Right. It's just like 
I don't know. It, it's always weird for me when it comes to like kid stuff because there's all there's from people who are wrong. There's this concern of like we have to protect our children from this. Why? What well, is- that's something that I think is really interesting with Frog and Toad as well. And this was something mm-hmm. that a writer Jesse Green was talking about in the New York Times. Mm-hmm. He, so I'm just going to read the quote because I, I like the way it goes. Mm-hmm. But Labelle is careful to make Frog and Toad entirely non-sexual. They sleep apart, and Toad even dons a modest Edwardian bathing suit when he swims. Mm-hmm. Instead of innate animal passion, they model the elements of love that have to be or to be discovered and cultivated: companionship, compromise, acceptance, good humor. They get into active scrapes, but get out of them together, which is not a bad definition of marriage. Yeah, I mean, they could be like asexual partners who are married. Like that could be a thing. That's a thing. Well, I mean, there's entire things where one of them is sick and asks for a story and the other one goes out of his way to try and, like, come up with a story and ends up getting sick himself and then the other uh-huh. one takes care of him. Like, it's... Yeah, they're an old married couple. Um, that leads to a point where the sad thing is about a lot of these stories is that they get lampooned in popular media. So, like, there's a lot of jokes about, like, Bert and Ernie. Um, Avenue Q, for me, is one of the bigger examples of that. And I love Avenue Q, so I can make fun of it. Oh, Avenue Q is so good. Um, the but, whole song, If You Were Gay. So when I was in high school, we would do rounds of that song where, like, me and the anime club were, like, like I would start and then some would have to finish it, like, across the hall. <laughs> because that's that's how you know you're a level of nerdy when you're both into musical theater and anime. <laughs> that's, like, a transcendent level of nerd when you do both. <laughs> That's not even your final form. It's not. It got way worse. Um, I mean, I think Avenue Q handles it really, really well because there's actually like a ton of acceptance in that relationship, uh, which I think is hilarious. Like, it's, I don't know. Avenue Q gets a lot of shit for being like politically incorrect, and it is, but it's very thoughtfully politically incorrect. Like, there's, that's actually like, the most healthy way to handle that relationship of like obviously closeted gay partner. <laughs> And very, very straight partner. Well, it's, I love the personalities in this book, too, because yes. Frog is so like, let's go do this new thing. And Toad is like, I don't like anything. Leave me alone. I want to sleep in this room. Wake me up in two months. Like, when he comes in and he's like, wake me up in the end of May. And he's like, wait, what? So then, like, Frog just pulls the pages off the calendar and wakes him up again? Yes. What the- I mean, it's... It's it's very classic, like, trope level of an odd couple. Like, you have the misanthrope and the extrovert. I mean, it's also very Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Like, it's 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 all very classic. Um, but seeing things like this can be a vital part of understanding queer identity, especially in children, and understanding that uh, queer people do exist and that they aren't just a myth that people tell stories about. Um, so our presentation for this and being able to see same-sex couples is very, very important. To this day, we actually do still see a fair amount of erasure when it comes to uh, queer intimacy. Uh, my favorite is when you have like historical sites and you'll see like two men skeletons together, like obviously like embracing or like two female skeletons. It's like they were just good friends. It's, it's like, but the, but the sign says they were married. Nah, they were just great friends. It's like pretty sure this inscription says that they were married. Nope just real close that like wood carving of the two women like entwined with each other and, right like, best friends just super best friends well my favorite of that is alexander the great because like there are still people who are like alexander the great super super straight and it's like no no he was not no he was not ever and that's fine but like that's that's my favorite thing on the internet it's like alexander the great super mask very straight it's like no never i remember was. reading this whole thing about um early puritanical society in the u.s and about basically if two guys got caught being intimate they would be killed but mm-hmm. if two women got caught being intimate it was usually oh well they're just incredibly good friends they're so so close mm-hmm. we'll just tell them not to do it again yeah you do see that That's a lot in trials um, yeah, you do see that a lot in um, historical narratives that, 
when it comes to queers being punished, it's not usually women because there's an assumption that women like can't be gay. Like that's fine. That's fine. But it, that punishment tends to come down much harder on men, um, which is, I don't know, I guess the one time that women get a pass, but like for a terrible reason. Pretty much. <laughs> like the one time we get a pass, it's for, oh, oh, somehow it's more misogynistic. Well, it's because we can't control ourselves because of our uteri. And it's also just, because um, you see this a lot also in Japan, that there's this assumption that you're going to go through a gay phase. And the hope I've is that you grow. That before. So you see it a lot in um in Japanese media, especially like in Boys Love and in Girls Love Yaoi and Yuri. Um, but it's also very like culturally accepted. Like you're just gonna go through a gay phase because a lot of schools are still very separated by gender. So like if you're hanging around a bunch of girls and you're a girl, you're probably going to have at least one attraction to a female. Like that's just gonna be a thing that happens. But you should, in theory, then find a penis and be okay because it's a phase and you should grow out of it like other things. I'd never heard that before. Yeah, it's a weird, it's, again, it's like weirdly accepting, but also terrible. (laughs) Well, we're also in a very rigid culture in the United States where it's like, we still have very loud people yelling, one man, one woman. I don't know if our culture is rigid. I think those pockets are very loud. Because I think realistically, most people don't care. Like, this might be a stretch. This might be, like, the pandemic optimism. I don't know. But, like, I feel like realistically, most people don't care. I just feel like those pockets of ignorance are very loud, which has been America forever. Like, that's that's the American story in a nutshell, is a rebellious pocket being loud. Side note, I still have live PD on. It's just muted. And there's a guy who stops his car and he starts shooting at a cop. And another car is coming down the road. And that other car stops and then just reverses out. <laughs> and I'm like, that is the most accurate. It's like, nope. <laughs> just... That feels like you and me. Just nope. Done. Bye. Yeah, because like there's a full shootout happening between like a dude and a cop. And this car is coming down. And it's like, nope. And just reverses fully back. <laughs> And that person is my hero. I'm sorry. Because, yeah, like, that's the most human reaction to it. It's just like, nah, we're just not going to acknowledge that. We're just going to keep going. <laughs> but um, so that's some queer subtext. You see it, you actually, you do see it a lot. I think when, you're, when your eye is attuned to it, you start to notice it. Um, you'll notice that queer subtext a lot with um, just Pretty much any time you have male characters who seem to be too close, you'll see it with business partners, like the producers has a little bit of it. Um, you'll, when you're attuned to it, because queer theory is a strange thing, that it opens your eyes almost too much sometimes, and you start almost noticing it in places where it might not necessarily be. But when you spend some time with it, you do start to realize that like that subtext is there in a lot of works. Um, there's also a weird piece of coding to it also that like we kind of ascribe some characters as queer because uh, they might not present in a way that we assume is heteronormative. So like particularly effeminate men or particularly fashionable men, um, we usually label them as queer because apparently to be a cishet man, you must be a trash goblin. Is this where like that whole metrosexual thing kind of comes in? Yeah, yeah. Um, because realistically, like, the dandy was a thing that was never really ascribed as queer until pretty recently. Like, a lot of that heteronormative stuff we get is actually, like, in the history of man, very recent. Toxic masculinity is fairly new. Yep. So, something that's really interesting, too, about these books is they're incredibly meme-worthy. They are. Uh, And this has kind of exploded thanks to the internet. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of a shared thing because so many of us had to read this in school when we were kids. They're we did. easy readers. There's stuff that you just put in your kids' hands and go, here, sound these out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was cracking it because I'm going through all these New York Times articles because evidently a bunch of people discovered that these books were queer at the same time. Yep. But there's a whole one, it's Frog and Toter memes. I found out that there is an entire subreddit of just frog and toad memes Mm -hmm. there is a discord server that somebody was starting like 
they're all over Facebook, Instagram, mm-hmm. Twitter. It's just, you just kind of do a frog and toad search and it pops up. My personal favorite is still the one of that girl whose mom bought her the frog and toad shirt off like some website like Wish or something. Mm-hmm. And it shows up and it's got frog and toad riding a bike and underneath it, it says, fuck the police. <laughs> and, um... Mark that sounds like laugh. us. Every time Mark and I see this, we laugh out loud and just mm-hmm. have to like remind each other of it. And I found it again today. So I'll put that on our our uh, website. But I was dying. I'm like, oh yeah. And it's just this little tiny girl in this t-shirt. And it's just like, she's sitting there and you can tell she's just like, frog and toad, yay! And <laughs> well, even, hey, like, frog, they're, they're good. They're so well known too. Like even Barnes and Noble in the kids section used to have, like they were everywhere, crawling up the wall and stuff yeah. like that. No, and I I think like their personalities are so flanderized that like you can pretty much slot yourself into. I just realized I have to explain what flanderization is, don't I? I would recommend it. Yes. God damn it! So flanderization is a media crit term of where a character's base traits are really whittled down to like almost meme levels. Uh, to remove any complexity to make them easier to recognize. It actually comes from Ned Flanders and The Simpsons. I was just going to ask if it had anything to do with that. It actually does. So flanderization comes from Ned Flanders because he started off in The Simpsons way more complex. (laughs) And then around like seasons like seven, eight, he just becomes like a total shell of who he was. I mean, like so did everyone in The Simpsons, but like it's most noticeable in him because like he actually was a super complex character. And then the writers changed over and got lazy and they just kind of made him like an outline of who he once was. So that's where flanderization comes from. Welcome to Amanda's Media Criticism Corner. I feel like we should get you a sound effect kind of like in Reading Rainbow where they'd switch and they go, dude, dude, dude. Like, have I told you what's been keeping me sane uh, on the internet recently? Mm-mm. So do you remember the show Bear in the Big Blue House? Yes. So that puppeteer and voice actor is on TikTok with his puppet for Bear. Aww. So Bear will just come out and say like, good morning, everyone. And he'll tell you to have a good day. He did a graduation thing. And it's just like, this is exactly what I needed today. And it's funny. It's like right now, just the little things. You showed me Sophie the magpie. And so now every time like one of the micro breeze come up. I love the micro breeze. I'll just like be sitting there playing it in the background while I'm like getting yelled at by homeowners. And I'll be like, (laughs) yes, you be a good bird. Kiki, Kiki. (laughs) I love Kiki is the best thing. I'm so glad that I got you indoctrinated into the Sophie the magpie cult. So for people who don't know, Sophie the magpie is this magpie that lives in a, a British household and like kind of she this does. really cool yard structure that they've created for her. Yes. And Kiki Kiki is when she's kicking things out of her nest. Yes. Just trying to make it as nice as possible. Yes. And definitely this bird has a personality and it's a big personality. Oh, so Sophie has the biggest personality. Um, I've been following Sophie the Magpie for like a couple of years now. I love her. Uh, she's currently in Nest Fest, where she's thinking about an egg, but we don't know if she's going to lay this year. There's a lot of there's a lot of conversation in the Brecast about whether she's going to lay this year or not. I love um, that there's a whole cast. Of yeah, there, I it's it's what I do every Saturday morning. Like every Saturday morning, I watch the Brecast, and it's like an hour long with Sophie and her owner. Um, and we usually talk about like biscuits. Like we talk about cookies a lot. We somehow always end up talking like the weather and food. Like it is like a frog and toad novel of just like pleasant, vaguely British things. And it's just like, it's, a, it's such a balm. Like I've been very vocal about having anxiety. So like there's this beautiful part of my routine where like in the morning I get to just watch a bird be a bird and be cute and eat popcorn and everything is fine. And there's cats. And like at this stage now there's like a mythology with Sophie. Like there's Bringo. There's a Sophie the Magpie bingo game that we can play. Bingo. <laughs> um, we get to see the catio, which is the cat patio that her owner built. And there's four cats and they all have names and they're all great. Like at this stage now, there's like a mythology around it. So it's just this beautiful community. 
Additional side note, because I still have the television on like an idiot. We're getting a Ulysses S. Grant miniseries with an executive directing credit to Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay. Who's letting, who let him out to do that? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know he could executive produce. I mean, I think that's kind of just the, the general trend or trajectory where it's acting, directing, producing. I mean, I'm out of everyone, I, I think that he'd be good at it, but I'm shocked. Also, the Lorena Bobbitt movie comes out Memorial Day, so everyone's going to be home from work on Lifetime watching Lorena Bobbitt. So I'm going to give you guys a few details about Arnold LaBelle. Yes. Um, so you can have a bomb in this world, although still be a little probably sad about how he died. Arnold oh. Stark LaBelle was born May 22nd, 1933 in L.A. Mm -hmm. um, very, very quickly, they moved to Schenectady. Schenectady? Uh, New York, thank you, where he was raised. Um, he ended up passing away December 4th, 1987 in Manhattan. So very young, and there's a reason for it. Mm -hmm. um, he did not have a good childhood. He was bullied all the time. He was mm -hmm. considered to be fairly effeminate. And so what he would do is he would end up like hiding and reading picture books and Aww. use them as an escape from his shitty classmates. Um, he got super sick in second grade and spent most of the year away from school. Mm -hmm. So he ended up learning to draw funny animals to keep himself entertained. Hashtag same. And he would do these cute little stories for himself, and that's how he became comfortable. So he decided this is what he was going to do. Is he was going to be an illustrator full-time. And so he went to the Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. and that's where he mm -hmm. met his future wife, Anita Kempler. Mm -hmm. They have two, or had two kids, Adrian and Adam. Mm -hmm. And then in the 70s, the Frog and Toad books were published. Mm -hmm. And so they were very, very popular, especially among small kids. They're very easy to read, very easy to access. Mm -hmm. And um, and then in 1974, he came out to his family as gay. Um, yes. His daughter is, Adrian is very convinced that the Frog and Toad books are actually his initial explorations of his sexuality. Mm -hmm. um, whenever somebody would ask him about it, he would just say, these are just two aspects of my personality. That's it. Like, I'm not... I'm not gay. Like initially, you'd be like, "Oh, this has nothing to do with this." Has nothing to do with it, um, mm -hmm. but you definitely see the subtext through a lot of things. Um, and it was really cool. In 2008, there were as a set of uncolored drafts of the Frog and Toad books that were founded in the state sale, mm -hmm. and his daughter got them, colored them, and published them as two more additional books. Oh, and their Frog and Toads all sang from 2009, mm -hmm. and Odd Owls and Stout Pig a book of nonsense in 2009 as well so she's also a an illustrator and an artist and so she's definitely followed in her dad's footsteps that's good even after he came out as gay anita and arnold continued to work together to make books um he was not very happy because financially he could not continue to just make children's books and live off of it so a lot of times mm -hmm. he was a um a copywriter and an editor and illustrator for like advertisers and stuff and he hated it absolutely hated it um, yeah like most creators exactly in the 1980s his books ended up being turned into claymation adaptations by churchill films they are Which you don't like i love them but they're terrifying i, I think they're fine i turn the computer around to show my daughter and i go what do you think of this and she goes dear god turn it off and i'm like it's it's fine it's claymation speaking um, of daughter have have uh, y'all watched the most recent monstrum not yet no she's she's with so my stepdaughter is with her mom this weekend ah, yes. so so i as soon as you told me i was like yes and then it's like no you're gonna be <laughs> by the time we i go to watch this so i will save it with her because the this most recent one is on slender man right it is on slender man so arnold labelle ended up winning a Caldecott medal for his work in 1981, mm -hmm. which is like the big kids book prize. Super mm -hmm. awesome. You'll see it on a lot of really classic books. The sad thing is he did pass away in 1987 from cardiac arrest due to complications from AIDS. Mm -hmm. So as we've kind of discussed a little bit on the show and definitely in our personal lives, the AIDS crisis was not handled well in the United States in the 80s. 
it was swept under the rug a lot of times as just mm-hmm. the quote gay disease. Mm-hmm. There's an incredible movie and book called And the Band Played On if you ever want to know more about it. Mm-hmm. It's very, very dated at this point, mm-hmm. but just a lot of the refusal to admit that there was a major disease that was causing problems in not just one population, but the world. So if you need better resources for that, uh, Dallas Buyers Club. Mm. Uh, Hello, I am Amanda here to save the day. Uh, Dallas Buyers Club talks about that a lot. And also uh, Lindsay Ellis does a great video on rent and the AIDS crisis. Now, if you are a bit of a rent stan, you are going to hate this video essay because she obliterates it. I hate rent with a passion, and I'm sorry See, for the 20 listeners that we just lost because I said I, I hate rent. I like rent's music as a musical narrative. I'm not crazy about it. So, like, I'm, I'm like a soft stan. Like, I really like it. Like most queer theater kids, like this was my time to be seen. Like, but at the same time, like I could also acknowledge, like this is awful. Like this is just. Like, what are they rebelling against? Like, if you are a Rent stan, you're going to hate this video. But yeah, like, Lindsay Ellis does a great video on Rent and the AIDS crisis, and it's phenomenal. I think I cried the first time I watched it, just because it's like, well, that's horrible. I mean, we all knew. Um, And unfortunately, uh, as we were trying to run away from the current times, we cannot help but acknowledge that there are uh, some parallels between the AIDS (laughs) epidemic and our current pandemic. A lot? I am trying. <laughs> I'm trying. Um, in which we're seeing uh, just a complete lack of government ability to do anything um, and a desire to keep this swept under the rug as it continues to affect, let's be real, mostly minorities and poor people. <laughs> Not to make it a race thing, but it's always kind of a race thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not making it a race thing. It's making it a race thing. Right. Like, I'm not, well, because I, I can hear someone, because, like, there's been a lot of articles about, like, how it's almost, like, disproportionately killing minorities. And it's like, well, it's a pandemic. It's killing everyone. Like, okay, well, yes, but also no. Yes, but who are the people that were forced to go back to work early to work in kitchens, to work in homes, to work right. on a lot of areas? The people who have no money who have been disenfranchised for hundreds of years. And honestly, for me, what I'm even more fascinated in air quotes is the socio part of the economics is you have, there are black people who still have intense suspicion of doctors and hospitals because the Tuskegee study, fair and valid. (laughs) 100%. Please still get vaccinated black people, but fair and valid. You have Hispanic people that still don't have a lot of trust for doctors because oftentimes of language barrier and racism. There's so many social aspects of it that aren't just disenfranchisement. We're not ignoring the disenfranchisement, but like that's something for me that I'm always more fascinated with is that we're ignoring the social aspect of it, that there's still not trust there between these communities. Like we, we're seeing that a little bit with... um. Native Americans because like coronavirus having a terrible effect on reservations and it's like no you can't come in (laughs) well what's fascinating too is now there's all these these things where they're like oh well you need to take down these wellness checkpoints it's like oh I'm sorry um I think they still culturally remember when they were given a bunch of blankets with smallpox yeah let them have the wellness check centers thank you right like like we're just I think we're ignoring all of that social history, which I think is America is best at is let's ignore the social history. <laughs> Everything is fine, no one is upset. Like I was talking to one of my friends who was African American. We were talking about like what what would it take to like heal black people? And we agreed reparations and like a successful Liberia, which means that I probably need to tell the story of Liberia, don't I? I would tell the story of Liberia. I know the bits and pieces, but... So Liberia is in Africa, and it was a colony established, like, very, very late. We're talking, like, 1800s, after uh, the Civil War and after the Emancipation Proclamation. And basically, a white dude had Liberia and is like, we're going to give this to the Blacks. We're going to say, you're free now, and you go back to Africa. The problem is is that they took a bunch of people who at that stage were African-American. 
They had not been to Africa. They did not leave Africa. They were essentially Americans. They were now freed slaves. So they just dropped off a bunch of black people in Africa <laughs> and said, be free on like untamed land. <laughs> this feels a lot like when Russian Jews were forced out of, of Russia and Eastern mm-hmm. Europe mm-hmm. and sent to Israel. Yes. And it it's, was like, it's very similar. <laughs> Here you go. Here's that land we promised. Okay, but here's the thing. This land is populated by the Palestinians already. It's well, fine. So, we took care of it. So in all so. fairness, the white man did not screw over the blacks in that one instance. Liberia was empty. <laughs> it had neighbors that weren't happy, but the land was empty. Now, Liberia today is successful and thriving and is doing fine, except for the fact that they're trying to kill the coronavirus by killing witches. Sure. I mean, there's only so much progress you can have, but, like, we were talking, I was like, I think we do, like, a like a successful Liberia. Like, we would need to have, like, a mini Liberia, like, all over the United States of, like, these nice houses are for the Black people. <laughs> They're already paid for. Here's your subdivision. No rent, no utilities. Just here. Here's your reparations. Be free. Well, what's fascinating, too, is even communities in on the East Coast, when they were like, we're going to make this community where people of color can live as well, then you'd have things like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac who would come back and say, uh-uh, no, we're not allowing this. We won't give loans to anyone mm-hmm. if you allow this to happen. So there were a lot of communities that started off as we're going to um, we're gonna blend everybody and put everybody together, mm-hmm. they would freak out about it and just end up having to shut down, basically, mm-hmm. because they would be financially destroyed by the United States themselves. Yeah, which doesn't even lead us into gentrification or anything, which we're not going to talk about because this is a lighthearted podcast where we talk about gay frogs. Yay, gay frogs! <laughs> oh! Yes. So, happy side note. I sent you this picture and I put it on Instagram, too. My yes. mom is redoing an entire butterfly garden since she's stuck it. at home. And she found a toad and he's super cute and he's like this little fat toad dude. And I'm like, he's our friend! He wants to be on the podcast! But I'm not driving two hours to Lano to pick him up outside in a container and bring him back. Have you That's seen a? Uh, have you seen that one African frog that sounds like a dog toy? No. So there is an African rain frog, and it squeaks like a dog toy, and it is one of the best things on the internet. But the thing is, is that like that's its angry noise. <laughs> And it's like, I relate to that on a molecular level. It's just this small squeaking frog. And it's like, this is a war cry. It's like, that is not a war cry. Sorry, friend. This is not terrifying in any way. Sorry, friend. You are adorable and I'm keeping you. Um, Well, I, uh, queer subtext is fascinating in this because, yeah, like, out of all the things that you could have ascribed queerdom to, uh, I think a frog and a toad are interesting. I'd be curious about maybe if there are more notes in his personal life as to why he did that. Because out of all the animals that I would ascribe gayness to, these aren't the ones. Because I'm not Alex Jones, so. Alex Jones just does stuff for money. That's Alex 100%. Jones on air threatened to kill his neighbors and eat them. So I know this one guy who's part of like the occult study area of stuff. And he's like, Alex Jones and I used to be friends. Mm-hmm. And then during Y2K, he was telling people that, like, everything was over and that things were on fire and stuff. And mm-hmm. he goes, and I remember calling him out on it and being like, why would you do that? He goes, money and ratings. And he goes, and that's when we stopped being friends. And Fair. it's just gotten worse since then. I just, I think that's I was, bullshit. I was kind of done when on air he was like, I'm considering killing and eating my neighbors. And it's like, can someone call the police? Anyone? Please? The cops? <laughs> Just, oh my god, this is such a uh, trying time. Are you as exhausted as I am? Oh, 100%. Okay. Um, so just a peek behind the curtain. Amanda mm-hmm. had to text me on Monday and be like, do you still want to do this podcast on Saturday? I know you are overwhelmed. So. I did. I I did. I was I was very very concerned because, you know, I I think we we both decided that we were going to do our best to check in with each other to make sure that we're okay because I am at this stage 
a introvert who is also very extroverted who has been told to stay inside. I've been doing a lot of baking and trying to ignore that everything is on fire. I feel uh, yeah, I made a Texas sheet cake yesterday. I'm making a gooey butter cake today. Yes. So um so we decided that like we were gonna be like pandemic buddies and like we're gonna check in on each other to make sure that we haven't gone feral. And it's like, do you still want to do this? Uh, which the answer we got was yes, since why we're recording today. But uh, this has been exhausting. So I don't name my employer because I don't ever really want to get fired by anyone who stumbles across our podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, my job is considered to be essential. I'm a property manager. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, people have gotten so ridiculously nasty. The number of calls I've received where people are drunk mm-hmm. has skyrocketed. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, and it's it's because people are bored and they're scared and they don't mm-hmm. know what to do. And mm-hmm. so they call the one person that they can beat up on. Yeah. Which is, you're going to see, you see this with nurses, you see this with doctors, you see this. I'm not saying I'm, I'm at the same level or doctor or nurse, so let's just throw that out there right now. Well, and here's here's where I save us. You're seeing it with retail workers. Oh, where 100%. we're having security guards who are being killed, associates who are being attacked. Like you're seeing it now, boots on the ground. That people's entitlement yeah. has taken them to a absolutely devastating level. Like it's. I think that's also one of the reasons why we wanted to do a children's book is. One, to distract us from the hell that's outside, but also, two, it's a beautiful reminder to just not be a dick. A hundred percent. And that's, I think, where, where the frustration is, is, you know, our, our message is usually like, hey, give each other some grace right now. Things are hard. Yeah. And we get that. But when somebody pops a gun out and shoots two kids who work at freaking McDonald's in Oklahoma... Um, and, and the, the crazy thing is I went to urgent care with my husband yesterday cause he had to pick up a prescription mm-hmm. and I mean, they're very, very careful. Like everything mm-hmm. is, you kind of get buzzed in, you talk to people, mm-hmm. they have hand sanitation everywhere mm-hmm. and followed right in behind them were two police officers with mm-hmm. the canine full thing and their guns in their pocket. And I panicked and I'm sitting in the car watching my husband get a piece of paper and I'm like, oh my God, we're going to get shot. We're going to get shot. There's people with guns. We're going to get shot. And then I'm going, holy crap, this is not normal. This is, should no. not be normal. And what I mentioned to one of my friends who's British, and she says that anytime her friends come to visit the U.S., it's such a culture shock to see police officers mm-hmm. or people just carrying weapons with them, because that's not a thing in the U.K. That's mm-hmm. not a thing in New Zealand. It's not a thing in Australia. You know, these are countries that had what was called the the gun scheme in like the 90s and you Mm -hmm. turned your weapons in that's why when there was the shooting in new zealand i want to say like a year ago now it was was such a big deal is because it's like where did this guy even get an assault weapon right no and like i um when i was briefly wooing a danish person like the discussion if we were to ever marry was never him coming here it was always me going there because that was a genuine concern that he had. And I always, for a minute, I was always like, that's such an overblown fear. Because I live in Texas. It's like, yeah, you're going to see guns. Like, it doesn't matter. But then, like, I really started thinking about it from his perspective of, like, he's never seen that. How horrifying would that be to, like, go to the mall and see a bunch of cops with, like, 30 guns? <laughs> Something that's so funny to me is I am on Reddit and stuff, and I'm reading this subreddit for this uh, YouTuber that I watch. Mm-hmm. And it's always a joke about having an AK-47. Always a joke because he's mm-hmm. Russian. And then we have all of these American fans who go out and have a freaking AK. And they're like, oh yeah, this is my gun. I am more Slav. And I'm like, no, you're a fucking nut job. It's a joke. It's mm-hmm. a joke. You don't need to put Adidas stripes on a weapon. It's not going to make it better. Like, I do kind of like that though. I'm like, put it the fuck away. Wear the Ashanka, sure. Go ahead and have class, great. Have a great time. Don't bring out the freaking weapon because you're more likely to shoot yourself in the face by accident. This is very true. Um, 
we started talking about gun control, which I'm pretty sure is like five marks on the bingo card. Uh, take a drink. Everyone take a drink. Take Cheers. Drink, yeah, take a drink. Mm. As usual, our podcast is very much off the rail. <laughs> uh, yeah, I Sorry, love the like, we Sorry, Jared Munchies, please. But we have not talked about Gary Oldman's dick. No, we didn't. Till now. Till now. Well done, Amanda. You're welcome. <laughs> have to keep us on brand. So there's a lot of resources that we have for this, and I'm going to put up some stuff that Amanda's talked about too, including the Lindsay Ellis rent video and yes i'm gonna find this african rain frog dog toy noise because it sounds adorable i will find it it's i think it's a bbc video there is all of the frog and toad videos from churchill films Mm -hmm. online so i'll go ahead Mm -hmm. and put that up Um, a lot of details came from the new york times who just had a ton of articles about frog and toad which was amazing i also i'm sorry i love this headline which is gay children's book authors Mm-hmm. Like someone took all the SEO. Someone just <laughs> how do we keyword dense this shit so much? Yes, there's a whole article called "The Gay History of American Ch- Classic Children's Books," and Excellent. I sent this to Amanda this morning, going, "Oh my gosh, did you know?" Because so much of I mean Margaret Weiss Brown, who we've talked about on the podcast before, we have Good Night Moon. Um, I found out today some like certain authors that I was like, oh, I had no idea. Like, cool. I mean, but I think that goes into a topic that we've yet to fully debate, which is like death of the author a little bit. Or like, especially for children's book authors, the author is so secondary. Mm-hmm. Like, because they are writing for children, like you don't usually see the author in it, even if it's like. And you see that with the, like young adult fiction too, where like even if it's like directly ripped from their lives, like Dicey Song or something like that, which is a book I had to read when I was young and kind of fucked me up. Is it like uh, the last Gallus where you're just like, I know this is anonymous, but still. Yeah, it's like this isn't anonymous. You 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 wrote this very directly. Um like the a children's author is so secondary to their work. Like in a lot of ways. You can't have Looking for Alaska without John Green. Oh, that book destroyed me. I don't like it. I don't, we've had this conversation. I don't like John Green very much as an author. I'm sorry. Um, I don't know why I'm apologizing to you like it matters. <laughs> but um, yeah, That's the book that I threw across the room after I finished it and had a crying geez. dragon. My mom thought he was dead. Oof. Um, but we don't really need the children's book author. Like, we don't know their names, which I think is sad because they're so formative to us as not just children, but as people. It's, it is on the foundation of these books that we are built, which is your poll line for this episode. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome for that. Um, so I think it's, it's sad that we don't know anything about children's book authors. Like, one of my... Uh, One of my composition professors in college is a children's book author. And I remember hating her (laughs) because she saw the world through a lens that I couldn't understand. And now that I'm older and I'm desperately trying to grasp at that childlike whimsy again because I have no serotonin left. Well, I have some, but it's artificial. Store-bought is fine. Store-bought is fine. Store-bought is fine. Mine's artificial too. Yeah. You can't make your own. Store-bought is fine. And I have not been able to make my own since I was about 10. Um, you know, now that I'm, now that I have some serotonin in me, like that childlike whimsy, like I'm desperately trying to get it back. So like, I, I almost, it took me years to appreciate this woman who saw the world through these glasses, which if you ever want peak Amanda, it's me in college fighting with a children's book author because my fiction was always too dark. (laughs) And I think that's part of why Disney movies are so popular still among adults, especially right now. Nostalgia? Uh, nostalgia, that Control. sense of innocence. Yeah. The everything is going to wrap up in an hour and a half and it's going to be fine. Well, I think it depends on what Disney movie you're talking about. Because you're talking like Renaissance Disney, like when we know it, those movies are fucked up and dark. I mean, like, Disney keeps denying they ever made Song of the South, but... I mean, and they can keep denying it, and we will keep throwing it back in their face. Because uh, if we're, because like if we're talking Renaissance Disney, like our Disney, like your Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, Hunchback, Pocahontas, Lion King, Lion King, Lion King was 
the most painful movie. Like I used to fast forward the VHS tape at the part where Mufasa dies because I couldn't handle it. Oh, Lion Hamlet. Uh, those, I mean, I think that the reason why so many millennials have trauma is purely just because of uh, Hunchback and Notre Dame, which fun fact. So to tie us back to children's books, do you remember, uh, I think it's Little Miss Spider. Do you remember that show that was on? Uh, I think it's a little Miss Spider or something like that. Hold on, I'm googling it. I'm like, we're not talking Charlotte's Web. <laughs> yeah, Little Miss Spider uh, is a children's book series by David Kirk, um, and there was a show that was animated. And fun fact: when you are an anxious adult, you watch a lot of children's television because it's neat, innocent, and there's usually a song. <laughs> and I started watching the Little Miss Spider TV show. And I recognized a voice of one of the villains. His name is Spideris because it's a children's show. And he is a terrifying Phantom of the Paradise spider monster. I hate him. And he is voiced by the same guy who does Judge Claude from... <laughs> oh, uh, Demon like, Ogden Steer? Yeah, it's like, hello, Satan bug. <laughs> so, it's like, there is no kid under the age of like 15 who understands why this is awful. What are you doing here? So I brought it back to children's books. I'm here to save the pod. <laughs> so I will say we only got one question. It was on Instagram and it was how queer are frog and toad. And I feel like we've answered that in total. We actually technically got two. I just didn't transfer it over because one was kind of a joke, which is a, which comes first, the frog or the toad, which uh, evolutionarily they are, they um, arrived at the same time. Um, amphibians come from the same line as Tataltic, which is a lizard that rose onto the land from the water. I know too much about evolutionary biology. I apologize. I was like, I like that you took a joke and then you're like, here's the real answer. How are you not a Ravenclaw? How am I not a mm, I like murder too much. <laughs> you can like murder as a Ravenclaw. You just get away with it more often. I, you know what? I would be curious to retest because I don't know. I, I, I just, I feel slithering in my bones. So every I don't, time I've taken the test, even side ones, I end up with Slytherin, but it's like Ravenclaw is right under there. It's just yeah. because I like the black cat over like a raven. And I'm That's like, usually how it is for me, is it? It's like, it's usually mostly Slytherin and then like right underneath is Ravenclaw. But I would be curious to retest because, but I can like, cunning has never meant stupid to me. Like it's, I've, I never felt like I've had to like diminish my intelligence so I could make an evil plan. Also, fun fact. So I've been having some pain in my arm and I've been trying to figure out what it is. I talked to my friend who's an army medic and she's like, you probably have some very, very light muscle atrophy from malnutrition and lack of movement. And it's like, okay, so I'm dying. And she's like, no, a lot of people are going through that right now because no one's moving and everyone's eating like shit. Do you want me to send you the video I found for black metal yoga? No, I have uh, just dance where I have a perfect score to Rasputin. <laughs> <laughs> Today in the most Amanda things ever. I also have a two out of, I have a three out of five stars for um, Moscow, which is, if you think that Rasputin is on point, a German disco song about Russia is about as Amanda as it gets. <laughs> All right, so I have to ask, did you read this book in school? Not in school, but as a child, absolutely. I think we read it when we were like really, really, really young, like second grade, third grade. Yes. Um, but it was definitely a book that was around. Oh yeah, like it was definitely like one of those books that, like, depending on how fanciful your library was, you know, like the like kids reading corner. Um, oh, do you want to, so here's a fun story or a fun question. What was the first book you remember checking out from the library? Because I know what mine was. I think we checked it out and then we bought it Mm -hmm. uh, the Little Mouse, The Great Big Bear, and The Great Red Ripe Strawberry. I know that I'm butchered the title, but my mm -hmm. mom and I used to read that constantly. And then she would look at me and we would be eating dinner and she goes, and we both ate it all up. That's adorable. Uh, mine was The Lorax. Oh, it's such a good one. That is a good one. My first from the from the Arlington Central Library back home. It was The Lorax. That's a beautiful library. Forever uh if you're ever in central well it's north texas central is austin if you're ever in north texas the arlington central library is quite nice we had a very very tiny one and i want to say it was like 
the Mesa West or something library, but it was super 80s. It had stone steps to the different layers, those ones that are like connected by metal railings. So they're not like Mm -hmm. 100% solid. And so Mm -hmm. every time you stepped on them, you thought they were going to fall through. Mm -hmm. And it was like big windows, but it was tiny, tiny, tiny. And I just Mm -hmm. remember it had this weird smell, but it was so comforting because it was like book glue and dust and 80s perfume. And that was like, I don't know, it was just super comforting. I have so many concerns. I have so many concerns. Also, a historical note, do you know how my hometown got its name? No. So Arlington, Texas is named after not just Arlington, Virginia, but Arlington House, which was owned by Robert E. Lee in Arlington, Virginia. Oh, it all comes together for you. And I just, I'm so proud of my hometown, except for that. Because <laughs> they could have just stopped and said, named after Arlington, Virginia. You know what? Cool. That's fine. And then they have to add in, which that was actually my goal. Because when I was, uh, I was in Virginia not long ago, and I was like, I'm going to go to his house. I'm going to flip it off, and I'm going to get arrested promptly. Arrested or shot. <laughs> So I didn't do it. I did not flip off Robert E. Lee's house, but I got very close. You're like a block away, quietly doing it like out the side of your car window, but like keeping your fingers close, so it just looks like you're making a claw. Right, because that is, if you want to talk about places where innocent Black people get shot, that's it. (laughs) Because like realistically, what kind of person visits Robert E. Lee's house? Historians? White people? Historian white people? historians air quotes all right so i'm actually really excited about our next book because i've never read it i've read it and i well i watched the movie and i read it so we're covering harriet the spy i'm super excited i still remember my yellow nickelodeon of vhs copy of it oh Uh, yeah nickelodeon have like the most colorful vhs yeah they were usually orange but harriet was yellow because like that was like her part of her color scheme uh i'm stoked it was either going to be like that or Matilda or something. I love Matilda. That makes every, every, every odd child in the 90s loves Matilda. Absolutely. Every, Absolutely. Every, every kid who felt like super powerless and was weird and was like, man, I wish I could make things move with my mind. And that, another great movie that completely overshadows the book. Wasn't Matilda Roland Dahl? Roald Dahl, yeah. Roald Dahl, yeah. We haven't done him yet. Good. I don't like it. <laughs> Good. He's a weirdo. I mean, you're not wrong. Uh, please right. fight me. If you want to fight Amanda, you can find us on <laughs> social media. <laughs> there's, a, there's a TikTok that I love, and it's like, it's set to a, do you want to build a snowman? Like, do you want to fucking fight me? Do you want to catch these hands? I like, love that. My, either you or my friend Vanessa sent it to me, or both of you did. Because I kept watching that and giggling. That is, that is, that's pretty much me on the internet right now. It's just like, I'm just sitting there primed. Like, do you want to fucking fight? Like, I'm just like hunched up like a cat and ready. I have, I have nothing but time and hot takes. I'm ready. <sighs> We're still social. Uh, you can find us in all the places that you usually find us. Just go to the website. We're tired. <laughs> Yes, our website is unfortunately required reading.com. Yes. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to email us, we're at unfortunately required reading at gmail.com. There's also a link on our website. So if you're like, man, I really want to send them an email or I want to buy some merch or I want to buy some books, you can yes, go there. You can do. Um, if you'd like to contribute to the Wine and Cheese Fund, which as of right now, I think we've been kind of just sliding that money into soft donations. Did we buy our tile? Did we buy our brick for- We bought our tile for the Jane Austen house. Um, What's our cause for this one? um, I did just make a donation partially from us, partially from Fangirl Nation for the whole Gollum Fest where Andy Serkis was reading uh, The Hobbit and it was incredible. Um, That GoFundMe is still up. I can send the link out, but it was amazing. And there's a- video recording of him going back and forth between 
being uh, Bilbo and being Gollum, and it's like incredible. Very good. He's, he's psycho, and I love him. Yeah. If there's a if there's a particular cause that's especially literary or deals with queer people or women, uh, I mean, we like all causes, like some causes more than others. Um, let us know because I think that's actually a really really good idea is to kind of because usually what we'll do is we'll split the costs of like wine and cheese. But because we're buying that on our own time, I think it's nice to put that money somewhere else. I know I just uh, donated to Ransom Life, which Yay! is a thing that I did, uh, not because I want clout, but because I, to quote Willem Belli, am at least trying to get a window seat on the bus down to hell. So for those of you who don't know, uh, ransomlifetexas.org, it's an organization in San Antonio that fights human trafficking. Mm -hmm. What it does is it um, helps kind of counsel and rescue girls on multiple levels who have been trafficked or are very high risk for trafficking. Mm -hmm. um, usually they're girls who have ended up getting arrested in the system for theft or just basically basic needs because they have been trafficked and they like, this is their one escape. And mm -hmm. so what will happen is the um, juvenile justice system will say, you can either work with Ransomed Life, get counseling, get support, um, physical, mental, all that stuff, or mm -hmm. you can go back to jail or you can go to juvie. Mm -hmm. And they're an incredible organization. They're super sweet, wonderful human beings. If you ever want to donate or you want to support them, they are on Twitter and Facebook, and they're also just ransomedlifetexas.org. Mm -hmm. That will allow you to go ahead and donate as well. So if there's a cause that you think that we should be supporting during these trying times, let us know. Uh, I know like it's definitely made me uh, want to be more charitable. I guess it's because I feel like I'm dying. I mean, I really don't want any of us to die, but we'll do what we can to survive. Yeah, I, I guess it's because I feel like I'm dying. It's just that it's like, how do I leave some kind of impact in this uh, fleeting world as we uh, wane towards entropy? I'm trying to convince my husband that we need Chinese food. Do it. I mean, according to the governor, we're open. <laughs> I mean, ordering it. I, I will say, I got to thank the people at like all these uh, food delivery things. We try to tip incredibly well because mm -hmm. we're like, hey, we know you're doing this. And Just don't not. use Grubhub. We don't use Grubhub anymore. They're shady yep. AF. But yep. uh, I've been using Uber Eats and stuff. Yeah, Uber Eats is better. <laughs> Uh, I try, I just, I'll order direct and pick up. Like, I'm fine being in my car and, like, getting out of my car. I'm okay with that. Um, I've also been cooking a lot, which is weird because I usually don't cook. Um, not because I'm a bad cook. I'm actually quite a good cook. I just live alone, and it's sad. Because <laughs> well, then you have leftovers for, like, four days, and you're like, I really don't want to eat the same thing for my Well, it's also just, like, I'm very Southern, so, like, cooking is all, cooking is not a utility. It's an expression of love. So, like, for me, it's just weird, like, cooking for one person. Apparently, like, the phenomenon of, like, single Southern people who eat for shit is not super uncommon. Because, like, there's no one person serving a fried chicken. That's a family, like, endeavor. You're like, we've, we've made uh, just a variety of things. Oh, yes, I'm now feeding 40 people, but this is just for myself. Right, like, I've made three sides for, like, a roast, and I live alone, so, uh, so we'll be back probably at the end of the month, and then we have, I can't believe I'm saying this, Pride Month is coming up, mm -hmm. which, let's celebrate Pride indoors, which feels weird, just let us have this month, please, um, the gays don't ask for much, except for equality and our ability to party outside in June. I mean, 